Hey there, and welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church. This is Pastor Jason Tucker. We are rounding the corner on the sermon series called Credo, I Believe, which is looking at the Apostles' Creed and not only drilling down into what it means, but really drilling down into what it means for our life. Why does it matter what the Creed says? Why does it matter what we say that we believe. I hope that you have enjoyed it so far. Again, if you're listening to this podcast, you can always catch up on all of our messages uh, either on our iTunes podcast or towerhillchurch.org. Click sermons to find all of the messages in this series. Also, if you are surfing around our website, I want to invite you to click on the menu bar at the top of the page that says next steps. I know for many of us, trying to figure out what is our next step in our life of faith. Okay, I started coming to church or I started following Jesus. I don't know what to do next. And hopefully there are some resources on there that will help you figure out what would be a good next step for you to take. Well, we are excited as we move toward Easter. We have a lot of opportunities coming up. There are a lot of mission opportunities Specifically, we fill up bags that we call manna bags. We fill them with food and give to those who are in need. We also have a program where we deliver hams also to families in need. If you are listening and and you are not um, an attendee of Tower Hill Church, you can still contribute. If you make a check out to Tower Hill Church and in the memo line write hams, hams are $13 each, and we need as many contributions as we can get so we can really do a great job of helping people in need. There are many other things coming up. We have some new member classes next week. Check our website for details. Here comes episode six. Have a blessed week. Today, we're covering a lot of ground. Today is the part of the creed that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. That's a lot, but it's all tied together. You know, it's kind of a bummer that the Holy Spirit just gets one phrase in the Apostles' Creed. It's like, we got, we got the stuff about the Father, we get this big section on the Son, and then we get, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And moving on. Uh, and that really just, it shows that all the controversy at the time, the reason that the Creed was written at the time, had, had everything to do with how to understand Jesus properly. The Holy Spirit, a big treatment of the Holy Spirit happens years later at, at the time of the Nicene Creed. After they've thought about that, oh yeah, maybe we should... Think about that a little more. I can't believe that uh, I, I have an almost teenager. I, it's freaking me out a little bit. Those of you with teenagers, you know I should be freaked out. I spent many years working with teenagers. And, and, and I, I mean, I really, I love teenagers. I'm not saying anything about your teenagers, but when I was a teenager, I did really dumb stuff. This is what some teenagers do. Not the teenagers in this room. You all are total angels. I was thinking about a, a time, gosh, when, when I was in high school, and I was about 16 years old, and a bunch of football buddies and I decided it would be pretty fun to have a scavenger hunt. Now, uh, we got into a bunch of cars, and, and I don't remember who it was, but somebody already had a list of what the items we were going to get. And we had this, at the end of the night, we're going to meet in this location and see who won. And, and depending on what you got, depending on how many points you got. 
this was not a good list. This was like road signs, you know, different kinds of road signs were different points. A parking meter. I think that's a federal offense, actually. <laughs> dumb, dumb stuff. So the minute we started this scavenger hunt, I was, I was thinking to myself, I'm really uncomfortable with this, truly. I was really uncomfortable with it. I was a pretty good kid. It was college where I went off the rails. But when I was in high school, I, I was a pretty good kid. And, and I felt really guilty about this. Like, I, like maybe I should go home. But, I, you know, the whole peer pressure thing is real. I was like, no, I don't want these guys to give me a hard time. So we went on. And each stop we went to go take something else, I stayed in the car. Because I was so horribly uncomfortable with this situation. Now, we get to the end of the night, the time when, you know, all the cars are going to come together at the rally point, and we pulled in just before the police cruiser pulled in behind us. The police officer was, could not have been nicer and, and more gracious, but scary. And I was explaining to the police officer, look, I actually didn't do anything. I was sitting in the car just just want to remind him that I didn't physically I played a little game with myself that night and I feel like it's a game that I played at different times in my life and that's despite what I'm actually doing that's not who I am on the inside I learned something very valuable that night something the police officer said was Guilt by association. Yeah, man, I was in the car. I was part of it. I think there is a spiritual equivalent of this. And it has to do with sin. Let me quote the great theologian Bill Parcells. Who said, you are what your record says you are. He used to say that whenever someone on the team was like, we're only a couple of plays away from being 12 and 4. Yeah, but you're 4 and 12. (laughs) You are what your record says you are. So what is our record as human beings? The truth is, we're all guilty by association because of what sin has done in us. What happened, we believe, is that fundamental time when, when Adam and Eve in the garden, it, it was the decision of humanity to say, thank you, God, I got this. I don't need God. I can make my own decisions. Thank you very much. When humanity turned its back on God in that way and sin entered the world, it's like there's a big water pitcher filled with Perfectly pure water. And it's like you drop a a couple of drops of ink into that pitcher. And what happens? The ink just doesn't stay by itself. It diffuses into the whole pitcher of water. Until eventually, every single part of that water is tainted. We believe this is what sin fundamentally did to the human race. My record is, I am a sinner. I am guilty by association. Yeah, but I didn't kill anybody. I didn't steal from my job. I didn't cheat on my wife. I didn't. You're guilty by association. Sin has corrupted you. You are fatally flawed. The only way to make the water pure again in the pitcher is to change out the water. 
We need the living water of Jesus Christ in place of that water that has been tainted by sin. My record is that on the inside, I am fundamentally broken. I am tainted by sin. Now on the outside, I think it's important to say, on the outside, I am still perfectly capable of doing good things. Just because sin has broken me doesn't mean I can't do good things ever. I'm still made in the image of God. There is a residual goodness in God's creation. I've met a lot of really nasty people who are really loving to their kids. It's not that. Of course I can still do good things. That's why it's not about good things. It's about the condition of sin and what it has done from the inside out. The problem is that who I am on the inside needs to change. It's not just about what I do on the outside. In other words, I can't just good works myself into a good position with God. Well, if I just give a little more, if I go to church a little more, if I stop cursing so much around my kids, like, like God's going like, to give me credit. And it's all going to get better by what I do on the outside. See, what you do on the outside doesn't change what, what you are on the inside. So my record is, I am a sinner who can still do good things. But even my goodness is suspect, if I'm honest with myself. Like, why am I good? Why do I give money to that great mission? Why do I you know, support them? Well, it makes me feel good. So in the end, it's about me. Right? I mean, even like... Maybe it's not that dramatic, but there's something about even our goodness is suspect. So, what we're going to do is take this part of the creed, and I want to work it backwards. Because I think it begins with the linchpin of, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Without the forgiveness of sins, you never change out the water. There would never be a fundamental change. Because I believe, like last week we talked about, Jesus conquered sin and death. And if I put my faith in him, something changes me from the inside out. That old tainted water is thrown out and I am filled with new living water. And it changes everything. It changes everything. Now all of a sudden, my record has changed. You are what your record says. You are my record says, I am now made holy. By the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, that God looks at me, and instead of seeing my sin, he sees Jesus in me, and he says, you're good. You're forgiven. I am changed. I am dead to sin and alive to God. It changed changed me from the inside out. I have a different record now. My record now is I am a saint. Ask my wife if I'm a saint. No, don't ask her if I'm a saint. I'm telling you, our record has changed because of what Jesus has changed inside of us. And if we would just start believing that we are forgiven, we might live forgiven lives. Free of all the chains, of all the prisons that we willingly walk ourselves into. Because we're so guilty about our past and about how imperfect we are. When really God says, no. You've been changed. You're forgiven. You are a saint.
That's so tough. Like, for us to look in the mirror and be like, you're a saint, dude. That's tough. But I am a saint. But here's the thing. I am a saint who can still sin. The world has not yet come to its completion. I am living in between the two comings of Jesus Christ. Jesus the first time. Jesus the second time. And until that second time happens, there is still sin. I am still human. The difference is... I'm no longer defined by the sin that I commit. I'm defined by the forgiveness that happened inside of me. I am a saint who sometimes sins. Very famously, Martin Luther. He said, we are all simultaneously sinners and saints. We are forgiven, but we still have a capacity to mess up. Which I don't need to convince you of, right? This is life. But our record is different. Your record says you are a saint who still can sin. The truth is now, I am holy by association. Because of Jesus Christ in me, I am made holy. Not because of anything I did, I was sitting in the car. At least I got in it. That's faith, right? I am made holy by association because of what Jesus Christ did in me. Okay. It's actually even deeper than that because Jesus takes our place. It's truly a sacrifice that leads to us being a saint. Okay, let's go to the next part then. So therefore, if we're all saints, which of course we are, then I believe in the communion of saints, that these saints, wherever they exist in the world, we are brought together by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. What is communion? It is us being brought together by the body and blood of Jesus. So I believe in the communion of saints. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share one loaf. That's why I believe in the communion of saints. Okay, so again, working backwards. I believe in the holy Catholic church. This is my favorite part. Everyone's like, whoa, easy on the Catholic. This is a Presbyterian church. Did some, was someone asleep at the wheel when they were putting this thing together? Eh, leave it in. You ever wonder, like, why is Catholic in there? We say it when we say the creed, the holy Catholic church. There's a very simple answer to this. Catholic was a a term that was coined by St. Ignatius to mean the universal church. That's it. That's the big mystery. That's why it's in there. It just means the universal church, and this is important, the invisible communion of all the saints everywhere on earth, past, present, future. It is the church as God sees it. The invisible communion as it exists everywhere. The church that we don't see physically, but God sees. The Catholic universal church. Now, in what way then is the church a holy Catholic? How is it a holy universal church? Well, I think it's actually nice to look at the first example of church. What did the first day of church look like? So on the day of Pentecost, it looked like this. 
from Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In fact, Peter gets up and he gives one sermon and 3,000 converts. I mean, talk about pressure. That's a good sermon. I don't know, sometimes I, I read this picture and I say, okay, I get how you say that's the holy Catholic church. That's the holy church of God. I mean, for crying out loud, it's like, it's like church then was like the final scene of It's a Wonderful Life. Right? That's what, that's what I feel like. Everyone's going, Merry Christmas! You know, they're breaking piggy banks to share with one another. They randomly bust into Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Right? It's like that feels like that was what church was like. I don't know, hasn't that been your experience of church? No? I mean, the good news is, look, you read a couple chapters in, and they're having disagreements about how things ought to run. This is the nature of the church. True story. There was a church in Dallas was uh, splitting. They had a, a division in the church, and they split into two congregations that were fighting over the land. It was a really ugly thing. And when they got to the actual, like in all of the testimony and all the hearings, they got to the actual cause that started the split in the first place. You're, you're not going to believe this. This is a true story. At a potluck dinner, an elder received a slightly smaller piece of ham than a child who was next to him, which caused the church ultimately to split. I guess it must have been deviled ham. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I could not resist. I, I, I truly apologize. <laughs> now, listen. We have disagreements in the church. People fight over dumb stuff. You think teenagers do dumb stuff? So do church people. We got a reputation. People don't always play nice in church when we think that they should. And so you think, well, I don't get it. How does it work then? How do we say we're the holy Catholic church, we're the holy universal church, and somehow we're also church of the ham? How do those things reconcile? Well, I think it's very similar to how we reconcile with being a saint and a sinner at the same time. It works the same way with the church. The church is, as God sees it, forgiven, dead to sin, alive to God, filled with saints who can still sin. Who they are on the inside is they are the church as God sees us, brought together by the body and blood of his Son, Forgiven, redeemed, light in the darkness, all of it. That's how God sees us. And yet, we still have freedom to act broken. 
and sinful. We could still create pain. We could still argue. We are a sinner saint reality. That is the church. That's when people come to me, when somebody isn't happy with church and they find out that I'm a pastor, there's a few things they say. It just depends on how upset they are. One of them is, the church is full of hypocrites. And that's why I don't go. So the church is full of hypocrites. And I say, you know what? I say, you know what? You're right. Guilty, 100%. Hence the need for a savior. The difference is, at least we know that we're hypocrites. Like, at least we know we need help. The truth is, I'm a saint that can still sin. And this is true even in the life of the church. We are the holy Catholic church and we're the church of the ham. John Calvin, uh, who was our Presbyterian forebear, who uh, led to this branch of the Christian church, he used to describe it this way. He said there's the church visible and there's the church invisible. Right? There's that invisible community as, as God sees it, the holy Catholic church, and then there's the visible church. Now, John Calvin was a pastor, and he was responding to people who said, hey, why is all this sin stuff happening? Does this mean that we're not a real church? He says, no, actually, the way that you know you're a real church, like a visible church is an expression of the invisible church, and the way that you know that it's a true expression is by two things. He said it was by preaching the word. If you preach the word and if you do the sacraments correctly, it's a sign that your visible church is a part of the invisible church. Makes sense. But also that the visible church needs to act more and more like the church that God sees it as. It is not an excuse. Well, we're just sinful. Wah, wah. We need to do better. And this is all made possible. Forgiveness of sins, communion of saints, holy Catholic church is all possible because I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's the first part of this section of the creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that part of God that we interact with all the time. It's that part of God that makes the transaction between sinner and saint. It's that part of God that dwells within us and changes us from the inside out. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We talked a bit about the Holy Spirit a couple of weeks ago, but just one example. There's a vision that the prophet Ezekiel has. You might remember this story. It's a vision where he sees a valley of dry bones. Ezekiel 37.5. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I think a real great way of understanding the Holy Spirit is to understand the Holy Spirit is the breath of God. It is the breath of God that brings life. It's that same spirit that was hovering over the waters of creation that breathed into Adam's nostrils and turned him from a biological reality into a spiritual reality. He brought him life. He made him from the clay, but he wasn't alive until he breathed in him. When we see uh, the story of Abram and Sarah, you're like, you know, why'd their names change? That was kind of weird, right? When Abram has an encounter with God, 
God breathes into them. And in that Hebrew letter, the het, makes the huh sound. They called it a breath sound. And so what they thought was then Abram experienced the breath of God. And so he was then known as Abraham. Sarai, known as Sarah. It's that breath of God that brings us life. This is the Holy Spirit that makes all of this happen. And so I believe in the Holy Spirit. As I said a couple of weeks ago too, the whole job of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus Christ, to reveal Jesus to us and through us to others. And this is why it matters that we act like the saints we are on the outside because the world is watching us looking for Jesus. Someone explained to me this way. So Jason, you may be the only Jesus that somebody ever meets. Scary. But the idea is, I am an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And therefore, I ought to act accordingly. Because lives are at stake. Watch what Jesus does now with his Uh, disciples John 20 again Jesus said peace be with you as the father has sent me I am sending you and with that he breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit and there's a little hint there it's not he breathed on them and said enjoy this he said no I'm sending you We are sent to the world to show them that we're more than the church of the ham. We are the holy Catholic church. We are the church of Jesus Christ that loves like nobody else, that shows compassion like nobody else. Yeah, we sponsor missionaries all over the world. Yeah, we support local missions. Yeah, we do love our neighbor. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is working inside us, and that is our calling. We want the world to see us and to be, I want that What is that? It's Jesus in my life. Sign me up. We are designed to bear fruit for the world to enjoy. And so the Holy Spirit in salvation places his seal on us through faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And we can see the world as it really is. And also the Holy Spirit is like a conductor. And we become attuned to God's movement in our lives and in the world. All for a purpose. So that the more we act like Jesus, the more it's going to benefit the world. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, real quick. Verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The Spirit enables us not just to be saints on the inside, but more and more saints on the outside. 
And this process is called, there's a theological word for this called sanctification. It's the process of the Holy Spirit making us more and more like Jesus. It's like uh, Michelangelo's David. We carved the statue of David out of one piece of marble and said, how did you do this amazing thing? He said, well, I just started chiseling away everything that wasn't David. I feel like this is God in us. This is sanctification. That the Holy Spirit's chiseling away everything that doesn't look like his son. So that we can bear more fruit for the world to see. And so where does this leave us? I I think just a couple of things in closing. I believe, first of all, that my record, I am what my record says I am. If I've been forgiven by Jesus, I am a saint. Yes, I still fight. I wage war against sin. But my sin no longer defines me. And second, I am called by God to be righteous and holy. That's the truth. I am called to, like, there's a reason my, the way I live matters. It's not just, uh, well, I'm just a sinner. Oh, shucks. See you in heaven. But I think, and this is so important, because this is where a lot of churches have gotten it wrong. Because this is the truth, and it hurts to say. But because I'm called to be righteous and holy doesn't mean I'm called to be self-righteous and holier than thou. We ought to be the most humble people on the planet because we know we don't deserve it. We know that we didn't do this on our own. That was only by God's grace. There is no place for any kind of Pharisaic behavior. No, 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 no. We're just sharing the good news about what Jesus did for us. And here's the truth. I am dead to sin, alive to God, given new water, changed by his grace from the inside out. Let my record show that I am holy by association. 